episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. A new set of windows or a new door can totally change the look, the feeling, and the vibe of your home. Plus, it can add value to your home and make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. Pella can provide window and door solutions to any home. Working with the good folks at Pella, second to none. So now is the time. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Give them a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. All right, uh, reminder, as always, subscribe to the pod. Click that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any of the great content I got for y'all. And while you're at it, leave a five-star rating and a review. And if you ever have any thoughts at all as you're listening to pods or you're consuming different things, the email is always open for you. You can email me, nick at nickbod.com. That's nick at nickbod.com. Got a thought? Send it my way. And as always, thank you. Thank you listening and supporting the podcast. Okay, on the pod today, ESPN college basketball analyst Fran Fraschilla. He's a guy that I've known for 17 years. Uh, He's called a bunch of my games at Kansas, and he is without question one of the best analysts in the sport. Just a great, great dude. And uh, Fran is fresh off calling the tournament on ESPN, which was great again this year. It's a single elimination summer basketball tournament that features great players. I mean, these are... uh, either overseas players, guys making six six figures, tons of money, or guys that are just out of the NBA, like Joe Johnson uh, played uh, in the tournament this year, lost in the semifinals. So the competition and level of play is high, high level. So I wanted to bring Fran on, talk about the tournament, and also pick his brain on Bill Self and Greg McDermott and Fred Hoiberg and Mitch Ballock and kind of the state of college basketball and all different things. Uh, going on around the sport, and then a ton of other hoops-related things. This was great. I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy it. So let's get to it. Here is my podcast chat with ESPN's Fran Braschilla. Online now is uh, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, a guy that I've known for, gosh, 15-plus years or so. He's Fran Fraschilla. How long has it been, Fran? We, so 2003. Three, the 2003-2004 yeah. season was when I got to Lawrence, Kansas, played for Coach Self. I've, I've, you were at every single practice, seemingly, with your work with ESPN. I've known you for a long time. Yeah, it's great. I just listened to that podcast, oh, probably, I guess it's been a couple months ago now. Uh, your, your Bill Self podcast was absolutely unbelievable. It brought back a lot of memories, and uh, I loved it, too. I didn't know the whole story of being recruited by Coach Williams. Yeah. And, Ended up in KU, and then of course going back to Creighton and uh, and and finish up a great career. So uh, always a pleasure, Nick. You know that love talking hoop with you. You know, I, I've I don't think I've ever really been able to tell you this. You've always been a source of confidence for me because mm-hmm. you know you were a guy that with with being intimately involved with ESPN and the Big Twelve and calling a lot of Kansas games. You got to to call a handful of my games and you were always good to me whenever I came in the games whether it was in mop-up time or a a handful of times I got a few (laughs) meaningful minutes you always kind of squeezed in a compliment for me and that always I always meant a lot uh for me because you know how it is Frank you're sitting there you're practicing you're on the scout team you're you're trying to battle for minutes and you're trying to keep confident it's every little thing matters for a for a player's confidence and you were always a huge boost for me 
You know, I think it's interesting you say that because now that you're doing exactly what I'm doing, besides the great radio show you have, you know, there's ways to uh, there's ways to handle being a game analyst. You know, it's a little different than being a talk show host. Yep. I think because a talk show, you know, uh, by nature, you want two sides of the coin. You want to have discussion and argument. And I'm sure there's things that you uh, say that your callers take issue with. But sure. when it comes to college basketball, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm never going to hesitate to to be somewhat critical. But I think you can do it in a way where you're just not ripping somebody's skin off. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I love telling stories about guys that – you know, that grew up in this town or play with this guy or, you know, like uh, this guy played with th- this other kid who ended yeah. up in the NBA. Right. And, and uh, I, I, that's what I enjoy. I love taking people behind the scenes, telling them something about a player, a coach, or a team that they might not have heard before. And uh, so I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I, it's it's kind of what I try to do. I like to, I like to inform people and, and tell them something about – Nick Ba that maybe they didn't know before the broadcast. Yeah, you know, and I've told a handful of, you know, whether it's, you know, Jay Billis was able to call a game and had a nice thing to say about me in, in a game I had against Southern Illinois or what I'm yep. telling you. I, I Those types of things stick with me when I'm preparing for games because, I, I you know, you try to dig a little deeper, do your homework on, on each individual guy because I've said it all the time, these games mean a lot to these players. And if they yeah. if they get in and they make a great play or they're having a great game or whatever the case may be, it's kind of on you to tell their story to kind of prop up what yeah. they're doing even more. So I always try to, you, you know, people like you are a big influence for when I'm preparing and filling out my sheets and getting ready to call a game. No, it's cool. And, and you know what? I'm always conscious of the fact that when you can say something nice about somebody, there's about 250 people associated with that person, yeah. uh, family, friends, high school teammates, teachers, yep. um, you know, the dry cleaner in the neighborhood <laughs> that say, man, I heard Fran Fraschella talk about Nick. That's really cool. So, you know, it's just, it goes with the territory. Yep. When I have to be critical about a, a play or a coach or, or something, I, I, I certainly can turn that on. But, uh, you know, even that Nick, there's ways to say like when, uh, J.R. Giddens would take a bad shot. Um, instead of saying, what was the coach thinking? I would say, that's not a shot Bill Self wanted right Perfect. there. Perfect, yeah. You know? <laughs> so I throw the player under the bus and not the coach. There you go. I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, you, I, let's get to, to Coach Self. I want to talk about your fresh off call in the tournament, and, oh, and yeah. that was just yeah. a blast. But we're kind of on this Kansas back-in-the-day thing here. Obviously, yeah. you've had a front-row seat in watching – what Bill Self's been able to do in Lawrence, Kansas. And, you know, when you're in the moment, I don't think you're necessarily seeing it uh, for a big picture, kind of what it is. I mean, he had a tough act to follow with Roy Williams. I mean, back-to-back Final Fours. Roy had built a really consistent winner. And in my opinion, I think Bill Self has almost elevated the Kansas program with his 14 straight Big 12 titles, two Final Fours, a national championship. I guess three Final Fours. Uh, what What is... What is it? What's the secret sauce with him that maybe people don't understand that you get an opportunity yeah. to see? Because I think when it comes right down to it, he's uh, I'll take Bill Self over anyone over the past 15 years or so. He's a great coach. There's no question about it. What I love about Bill is that, uh, well, first of all, and I've heard you talk about this, he, he doesn't, he's a great you know, he's a great human being. I always tell people he's like the next, he's like the next door neighbor where you go, I got to go borrow Bill's uh, 
a lawnmower today. And then Bill Bill winds up mowing you on for you. You right. know, he's he doesn't forget a name. Uh, he has an ability, I think, number one, to relate to people uh, at every level, including players and mainly players. Uh, he has a way of being very criti- critical in a way that almost makes you feel bad that you let him down. Uh, I've seen that so many times in practice where, you, you know, and you've, you probably have yeah. lived it. I know yep. you have lived it. There's oh, yeah. no question you've lived it because you played for him. But he just has it. There's an art form with Bill that he just, A, he can make you feel special, and then he can make you feel like really small because you've just let Bill and your teammates down. Right. And that's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great attribute. He's a great X and O guy, way better than anybody realized. I always tell people, Nick, he doesn't want you to know he's a great X and O guy. He's got that R shucks. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we just ran a few things, nothing fancy. <laughs> um, but he always, he makes great decisions in games. Um, he's got the whole package. He, he really does. does, which is why he's in the hall of fame. And to your point, uh, I didn't think anybody could replace what Coach Williams did, and I think Kansas fans are just fortunate that they've had back-to-back Hall of Fame coaches. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, yeah, and actually, back to back to back when you count Coach th- Brown too. That's true. That that is that's true. They've yeah. been uh, they've had a pretty good little run here for you know thirty plus years of of coaches, and he's yep. he's a guy that I think has uh, has really evolved, but stayed true to his his core with two game and not to get too far in the weeds in in nerdy basketball stuff but it's I've been impressed with how he's been able to wed his pillars of what he believes in that he ran at Oral Roberts in Tulsa and Illinois and in really old school high low two bigs in there to to wedding into small ball and four shooters on the floor I've been impressed with that because I've seen some instances where coaches maybe have a hard time with that where they they hold on to the past maybe a little too long and it's not that you got to ditch what you did in the in 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 the old days but I think you got to kind of try to wet it both and I think he's done a remarkable job with that well it's interesting you say that because if you watch Carolina play uh, and this is not a knock coach Williams is a great coach he's won numerous national titles but they're running the same offense they did in the 80s and, and 90s yep. at Kansas. The yep. box set and Carolina break and things like that. And that's fine. I mean, because Coach Williams has got a system that he loves and it works. And it, he got it from Dean Smith. But to your point, what Bill's done recently in the last five years, going to a lot of four-guard looks, four-out, it's it's like evolving from a power running game in football to playing five wide receivers. Yes, and I've had a couple conversations with him where he's, he has told me, cause I, I, you know, I was, I was one of the first to recognize that we're going to play small, I think. Mm-hmm. And then after a year or two of it, I said, you're going to go back to playing big. And he said, I don't think so. He said, we will, when we have to, but I love playing small. So there's a perfect example of what I call a growth mindset. Yep. Um, he, he knows what he knows. But he also knows what he doesn't know, and he's gone out and found out a way to, you know, figure out what he didn't know. And now, when I think of Kansas, I have to tell you, Nick, you'd find this strange, but I think of a more of a perimeter-oriented team now than when you played for him. But the one thing, even if you're perimeter-oriented and you're shooting a lot of threes, if you don't bring toughness to Bill's practice, if you're a player, you're going to have a problem. A huge, huge problem. I'd say say more so than anything, the prevailing trait – that'll get you yeah. on the floor's toughness with him. Like if you're tough, it's non-negotiable for him. Like if you if you if well, you're soft, you yeah. can't play for him. 
Well, listen, I, I think this is probably a PG-rated uh, podcast, right? <laughs> Maybe. So can I give you Bill Self's favorite four-letter word? <laughs> give it to Nick, me. Nick, you're so soft. <laughs> Nick, you are so soft. Soft. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you get called soft by Bill Self, you feel about two inches tall. You, there, right? There's no doubt. I, I always loved it. One time we had a, there was a little like, uh, some people were getting sick on the team. Some guys had the, you know, uh, the sniffles and all that stuff. And he gave yeah. us a speech in the locker room and it was, he said, oh, guys, guys, having a cold, getting a cold, that's just giving into it. That's just being soft yeah. and giving into it. And you, you're sitting there going, what? Okay. I mean, how is this like this runny nose is real, but that's how that's, that's him. Yeah. Like for as much as yeah, we talk yeah. about the tangible X's and O's, great out of timeout sets, like there's a psychological intangible ability that he has that is excellent as as a coach i think it's the foundation of everything he's done as a coach at every level and then i think when you add in the x and o's and the recruiting and the people skills and uh you know his ability to just you know the way he is with the media uh he has the whole package you know he's one of the you know, there's probably five guys in college basketball. There's a lot of guys I respect, but yeah. if I said which five guys have the entire package, you know, Bill would certainly be in that five without a doubt. And then, of course, that's why that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so let's let's go from one coach to another coach uh, in, in Greg McDermott because he's a guy yeah. that has evolved quite a bit as well. I mean, at Northern Iowa, he was walk the ball up the floor – run a box set, you know, chew the, and then he would run pack line defense and he wanted to beat you 52 to 49 and, and be on his way. But now yeah. Creighton's evolved into under Greg McDermott as to be in a, you know, a, a small ball, let it fly, pace and space, beat you 95 to 90. I'm curious from, you know, I think you called, uh, you called some games in Kansas city a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. for, for Creighton. Then you also called him in the NIT against BYU. So you've gotten little snippets in person. Well, hold on. Hold on. I got more. I got more insight than that. My, son, my son is on the Villanova staff. There you go. I forgot about that. So, yes. Yeah, so you have so when, intimate knowledge. When Matt, was home, when Matt was home early pandemic, yes. I said, let's put some tape on. And I'll tell you what he wanted to do. He said, Dad, I want to, I want to watch Creighton and Villanova this year in a game that Creighton won. Right. And we, we watched that game from start to finish. And Matt took me through every defensive breakdown and every set Greg McDermott ran and he said dad watch how they run this and so yes to answer your but now you got to remember I go back with with coach Mack to the Iowa State, State days. days too yes so you know we we I've kind of watched him evolve and, and coach and I'll never forget this I'll never forget this we were in a gym one day uh, on a Friday for a Saturday game and I said hey how good's your son he goes you know I think he's pretty good <laughs> How come you didn't recruit him? Well, I don't know. I didn't want to have him come here and be a failure and have have everybody kill both of us. <laughs> and, and and I swear, I said, wow. So I said to myself, he must not be that good. Right, <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and you know what I mean. And yeah. I know they had Harrison Barnes, and and then the next thing you know, that you know, Doug's at at Creighton, and so I've watched Greg. I have utmost respect for him, Nick. First of all, he is a offensive. Genius is genius might be a little over the top, but there aren't there aren't many better offensive no. coaches in in college basketball than Coach Mack. He his his schemes, his ability to get the right guy the right shot at the right time, put good players in great position, is unparalleled to me. 
I'm amazed, and you coached, and you know how this is. And obviously, I've as a player, I know this is this can be challenging for for certain guys. Yeah. I'm amazed that Coach McDermott's able to wed freedom with intelligence, with aggression, with decision making. You know, like sometimes you give, yeah. you know, how certain players are, Fran. You give them an inch, they take a mile. You tell them, hey, be aggressive. I want you to take that shot. All of a sudden. You know, they're jacking 24-foot pull-ups with 25 seconds on the shot yeah. clock without the ball getting moved at all. I'm amazed at how Coach McDermott's able to get guys to play with so much confidence, so fast, but also with intelligence and, and purpose. Completely agree. Um, I tell young coaches all the time, and I've, I've told my son, my, both of my sons this, I could find five reasonably athletic guys off the street right now Give me 30 with, minutes with them in a shell drill, and they could be more than competent defensively. Yep. It takes so much more coaching skill to teach offense. Mm -hmm. It takes timing, spacing, the ability to let go, as you said, of the reins, but yet put guys in position to execute as a group. And I, I, you've, you just said it best. And uh, when I watch, I love watching Creighton. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I put some, mm -hmm. I put some Creighton concepts out there and uh yeah and it's a shame because they had such a good opportunity this year to go deep 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 in a tournament i think they're going to be really good next year um but coach mack to me i tell people all the time you want to study offense study creighton because uh of all the things you talked about and listen um you know how i feel about mitch baylock yeah. too yeah uh we had mitch at at uh, under armor camp i i saw this for my for my own eyes uh, when he was a freshman going into his sophomore year, the first Steph Curry camp uh, out in Oakland, toe-to-toe -to -toe, at the end of the camp, he he beat Steph in a shooting contest, three-point shooting contest. And it wasn't fake. Right. I'm telling you, it wasn't fake. <laughs> right. And um, I, I think – I honestly think I could be, you know, on drugs, but I don't think I am. I think Mitch is going to play in the NBA. I do, I too. Do. I, I think do he's too. Luke Kennard. I think he's a guy that not only – not only, Nick, does he shoot the, you know, the, the pee out of it, um, he just knows how to play and he fits into a system and he plays hard. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, he uh, I, I totally agree. I mean, and, and he's not a, you know, he's not six, nine, you know, he's not Steve Novak or something like that, but he's yeah. also not small. Like, you know, he, he's, he's got decent size. Um, yeah, he, he's smart. I think, I think one of the things that, that helps Mitch is he knows exactly who he is. So he knows when, yeah. and that's always important. So he doesn't get himself in a bad spot, you know, like he doesn't have an identity yeah. crisis, which that'll help him as he moves up as well. But no, I, I agree. I think, uh, any more shooting such at a premium at uh, yeah. at, at the next level, and I mean he's one of he, he he's he's in the one percent uh, shooters in on Earth right now. I mean Mitch is that kind of a shooter on, on Earth on Earth. You know I, I said this about the TBT. Uh, you know we've had a great two weeks. You know we'll probably get into this a little bit, but you know these guys are not. They may not most of them be. They're not. A, they're not among the best four hundred and fifty players on the planet. But these kids playing TBT, these former college stars who are by and large playing around the world on a planet of six billion people, okay, <laughs> with a B, yep. six billion, these guys are among the best 1,500 to 2,000. And I would venture to say, I'm going to say something crazy, put this out there on Twitter as Give you promote this podcast. I think Mitch Baylock is among the, I would say he's one of the 
top 500 best shooters on a planet of six billion. People. Think about that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm. I'm not gonna <laughs> do it. You. <laughs> now, if that means he's in the NBA, great. But is he playing for Real Madrid someday, making like seven yeah. figures? <laughs> I would say take it to the bank. I agree with you. Before we yeah. get to the tournament, because yeah. there's a lot of stuff I want to yeah. get into there. I want to. Sure. I want to brag. I want to brag on one more coach who's uh, in the my Nebraska neck of the woods now, and that's Fred Hoiberg, a guy that you got yep. to know well with what he did at Iowa State, and then obviously he parlayed that to the Chicago Bulls, and now he's at a place. Uh, now he's he's in Lincoln. Um, what what stands out to you with with Fred? Because he kind of he he has a lot of he's similar to Coach McDermott in in some ways. They I think they yeah. share a lot of the same philosophical beliefs in offensive basketball. But as a guy that's gotten to know Coach Hoiberg and studied him and called some of his teams play, what what do you think of Coach Hoiberg? Well, he's a, he's a player's coach. I mean, he's gonna you know the job he did at Iowa State was unbelievable. It's just amazing. And again, Steve Prohm has done a good job of taking over for him, but. To, you know, everybody talks about the transfers, which, you know, I know he's done that a little bit in Nebraska, and he probably will continue to do it. But I look at Matt Thomas, high school guy, uh, Naz Long, high school guy, NBA, you know, two NBA guys, George Niang, uh, high school guy, uh, NBA, Monte Morris, high school guy, NBA. So for all the great transfers they've had, and they'll get it in Nebraska, uh, Fred did a heck of a recruiting job as well. And he is a, just like Coach Mack, a, offensive whiz he really is he understands uh offensive basketball he played it he was a great player and now all it is is a matter of time before he gets guys that can fit in to his offensive system and uh you know make shots because if one thing about his system if you're an offensive player and you're talented you're going to love it because it's going to give you that freedom but he just has to get enough of those guys around him and i know you know, it's going to take here the next couple of years. The, the, the league is so good. But, um, you know, Freddie is a – and Freddie's just a great guy to great play dude. for. I yeah. mean, that's it, period. I mean, yeah. great coach and a, and a great human being. From, from the outside looking in, what, what was the reaction for you that he took that job? Because, I mean, listen, it's no secret Nebraska basketball has been uh, – this is maybe a strong way to put it. It's kind of been a graveyard yeah. for a lot of coaches. They've come in there, and, and it's it's been a bear to try and get it done uh, – but, you know, you can look at that another way where it's like, listen, all he's got to do is go to the tournament and win a game, and they're going to build a statue of him, you know, outside of outside yes. of Pinnacle Bank Arena yes. in Lincoln. I well, guess, how did, how did well, you kind of view that? Well, you got to remember something. you got to remember how much homework I do, right? Yeah. So, Freddie, Freddie Hoiberg and, and Fran Freshella have a Brooklyn connection Uh-oh. because his grandfather, Jerry Bush, yep. played at St. John's when St. John's University was in Brooklyn, where I grew up. And so the one guy in all of college basketball you would never associate with Brooklyn would be Fred Hoiberg, born in Lincoln to a uh, university professor whose grandfather was the former coach at basketball coach in Nebraska who played for Joe Lapchick, uh, you know, at at St. John. So I wasn't surprised about the Nebraska connection, knowing that he was recruited by Tom Osborne and, and his granddad and, you know, uh, you know, and his family has such a link and tie. So it, it, to me, when I heard it, I thought Iowa State all over again. It's just yeah, instead yeah. of Ames where he was, where he grew up, it was, you know, Lincoln where he has so many family ties. It just seemed like a perfect fit. And in a lot of ways, not maybe as quite as much basketball tradition, right. but, you know, Iowa State for a long time has been a little bit of a stepchild too. And I think Fred will get Nebraska basketball, uh, uh, going to where they're winning and going to the NCAA tournament. And and the good thing 
I'm telling you, Fran, it's you, you go to some other uh, power conference programs and go to their home games and it's dead. You know, I mean, it's half, yep. it's yep. half full and there's zero buzz. It's not the case. Now it's not Allen Fieldhouse in Lincoln, but they're, Pinnacle Bank Arena, they're getting, you know, they're, they're getting 14,000 people in there. People are excited. So like the ingredients are there. Fred's just got to get his guys into the program and it's going to take off. I'm telling you that, that's at least how well, I see it. You got to remember now I worked for Danny knee at Ohio U before he went to Nebraska. Okay. And what you probably don't know, Nick, is that I was an assistant coach in Nebraska for two weeks. Two weeks? When, when Danny Nee took the Nebraska job, I was out there for two weeks, and then I got a little homesick for Ohio, and I went back to Ohio University. Wow. And, uh, yep, and so I know Lincoln well. And, of course, when, when, when uh, the Cornhuskers were in the, you know, the Big 12, mm-hmm. I absolutely love coming to Lincoln. And uh, just recently, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, on, on an off Thursday night where somebody got sick. Uh, some, one of my bosses at ESPN said, Hey, Michigan state's playing at Nebraska. Do you want to do the game? And, and I was out there and I just, uh, couldn't believe how beautiful pinnacle was yes. the area around the, around the arena. And, uh, of course the fans have always been great fans and, uh, they're with the Huskers through thick and thin. So, God, remember, I'm a junkie now. I know this stuff. We have to add to your Wikipedia then. I haven't looked at your Wikipedia, <laughs> but it better, be, it better be coaching career. There better be Nebraska two weeks. I better see that updated from somewhere. All I remember <laughs> is they gave me a meal card for the training table that was at that time underneath the stadium. Yep. I don't know where it is now, but it was the best food I've ever eaten. <laughs> So, so it wasn't the food. On campus. It was, it, yep, it on wasn't campus, the food. Best yep. On-campus food I've ever eaten. <laughs> I love it. I hated to give that card up. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a, though, though, there's a few, mem- few members of the media that still remember that I was a uh, – one-time Nebraska, one time Nebraska assistant, assistant coach. I might have to – you're not going to be ESPN College Basketball analyst. You're going to be two-week Nebraska <laughs> assistant coach as I introduce you, friend. <laughs> hey, guys, quick break to talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. And uh, I, I want to – Make sure that you guys understand that Pella Windows of Omaha and Lincoln, they're following CDC guidelines uh, during this coronavirus situation. They can safely serve any of your window and door needs in the showroom or in your home. All the employees at Pella and the customers are completing a COVID-19 questionnaire as provided by the CDC prior to entering the showroom, entering the office, and uh, any uh, potential customer's home and all the employees are required to self-quarantine for a recommended 14 days if uh, that individual comes into contact with someone who's tested positive if they traveled anywhere outside of the omaha lincoln area bottom line they are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that they are safe and you are safe so you can safely move forward with your window and door needs. And uh, on top of all that, as a result of all this stuff with the coronavirus, uh, Pella is offering temporary special financing options. They are now available. So man, now is the time to take advantage of these special rates and uh, put that value back into your home, and you have that peace of mind knowing that all the necessary safety uh, protocol and precautions have been uh, put into place by Pella, so you know the whole time you can feel safe. Give Pella a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Yep. The tournament, man. I mean, so we're taping this on, uh, on, on July 15th, 
Uh, so yeah. last night was uh, an unbelievable uh, finish to the tournament. Uh, the old veteran Travis Diener knocked down a three in the corner uh, to to give yep. the the Golden Eagles the, a win. I guess for you, I've 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 loved the tournament for years. I mean, I, I think it's great basketball for for you. You know, you talked about how high level it is. Try to try to put into context just how good the players are on the floor because I think people. Don't it's it's sometimes hard for people to sink their teeth into okay that guy's playing over in Germany well how good is that Lee okay that right. guy's playing over there I mean these this was high level hoops for a few weeks here it always is it always is it was an ingenious idea by John Mugar who's the founder of TBT six years ago we just finished the seventh iteration of the tournament and what it is it's a summer you know and I know a lot of people are, you know, will listen to this podcast and say you know. And I wish I would have tuned in, but basically what it is, is a summer basketball tournament, usually 64 teams this year, because of the pandemic, we pared it down because we had to quarantine 40, uh, you know, 24 teams in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Uh, these are high level teams made up of former college players who for, I'd say 90% of these guys are Nick are still playing either overseas G league. And in some cases just coming off NBA runs. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Marquette had four NBA, former NBA players on their team last night. And what it is, is like, I honestly believe this each and every year, the winning team in TBT could win the G League. Yep. I absolutely know that because they're older, they're bigger, they're Agreed. stronger. Um, you know, a G League, a lot of times is made up of young guys right out of college. And so the level's high. The reality TV aspect is incredible because in a 64-team tournament, which we normally have, 63 teams get nothing, zero. Mm-hmm. Only one team gets paid. Usually it's $2 million. This year, because it was only 24, it was $1 million. And when you get to the semis and the finals, the pressure is every bit like Game 7 in the NBA Finals or a Final Four game. And the level of play is high. Guys make shots. And uh, I call it high-level basketball meets reality TV. <laughs> That's the perfect way to put it. Do you think, yeah. and, I, and I have to imagine it's true, I'd have to, you know, NBA scouts are scouring, you know, they're, they're looking for talent anywhere. I'd have to imagine there yeah. were a lot of eyeballs on that thing, watching Marcus Keene and thinking, ah, can this guy maybe play in the league? Can he, is there a spot as a backup point guard somewhere for him? Like, I I, I really think it's it's not only an opportunity to, to make, a, make a little bit of money for these guys, you never know who's watching. You know, I mean, for for some of these guys that still have that dream of getting a shot at the NBA. Well, NBA, for sure, you know, they're hoping, obviously, and most of the time it won't happen. But uh, there's no doubt NBA teams, especially given the pandemic and no sports on TV, were tuning in. The other thing that happens is if a guy's making 200 grand in Belgium, let's just say, and he plays great in the TBT, all of a sudden the team in France wants to double his salary. And so we've seen that happen time and time again because of TBT, because people understand the level of play. I mean, think about it. Joe Johnson um, is going to the Hall of Fame. I'm just telling you. Um, And Joe Johnson, who's still a good player, could play on a lot of teams in the NBA. Um, His team got beat in the semifinals. And so that's, you know, there was another team. I can't remember which team uh, sideline cancer beat right before that, but they had former five former NBA players. So, this, the, you know, it's just so much fun because it is. I, I was trying to explain to Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News today, who's a great friend of mine, and he's a, you know, he's, he's an anti-Elam ending guy, which is another thing about the TBT. Yes, I wanted to get your um, thoughts on you, it. You play to a target score, right? Yep. And 
he didn't, he doesn't understand it. I said, Mike, I don't want to see this in the NBA or the final four, but trust me on the playgrounds of Brooklyn, you know, or maybe in Omaha, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> when, you know, when you were growing up or in Kansas city or Detroit, when, and when it's a Saturday morning at the asphalt courts and your five is running and you're playing in, to 15 and there's five more teams ready, ready to come on, you're playing like your life depended on it. Right. You're playing to the target score. There's no clock. We don't, we don't have a clock on the playground. We play to the target score. And trust me, you're playing like your life depended on it because if you don't win, your team's going to sit for five games in probably an hour. Right. There's and no doubt. That's the beauty of Evo Mending. It's we've all grown up playing to 21 or 15. Here's the thing, Fran. I, I tell people it's hard because I've had people ask me what the, what I think of the Elo Mending, and it's there's no doubt it's more entertaining. Now the yeah. hard part is, and this might sound weird, just because something is more entertaining doesn't mean it's good for the right. sport. Uh, but yes, you know, and, and that's a weird thing to say. But I just all I know is. Sometimes, and you know it is because you watch a ton of basketball and you call a lot of games. Let's be honest, Fran. Some yep. of the, sometimes the final 90 seconds or two minutes of basketball games are hard on the eyes. You know, one team's, right. it's a foul fest. The other team is playing not to lose. I think you call it play, running offense with the parking break on. I think it's one of, it, you, know, yeah. it's the, you know, they're just trying yep. to, to, to run the clock out. This makes the ends of games way more entertaining so I, I, it's it's hard. I mean, again, from the entertainment standpoint, it's it's through the roof. But I just don't know if all of a sudden that the absence of a clock makes sense yeah. from when the standpoint of the whole ninety nine percent of the other part of the game, the clock matters. So let's talk about it. Let's just let me give you let me throw ideas at you. Okay, okay. let's assume you and I don't think it's ready for the NCAA tournament or the NBA playoffs. So I'll give you a test. You ready? Okay. Elam ending. Uh, TBT is a work. Oh yeah. Okay, NBA All Star Game last February. It was it was the best. It was maybe the best ending okay. ever. All right, let's go G League, or or at worst G League overtime. Yeah, I mean, it. I Do you prefer- care about the G League? No, I entertainment? don't. I don't. I don't. Okay, so how about that? How about how about high school basketball? How about high school uh, grassroots summer AAU tournaments? I think I think there's I think it'd be great. So it's got a place. Yeah. That's what I was trying to tell my good friend, Mike DeCourcy. Yeah. I'm old school, too. I'm the get-off-my-lawn guy, too, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's certain places where I think it fits perfectly. And I think John Mugar, the founder, was absolutely on target when Nick Elam, a professor from Ball State University, said, why don't you guys try this? I think it's great. I, I, I really, yeah. really do. Uh We'll get you out of here talking a little bit. Of, yeah. I want to. I want to talk some big picture college basketball stuff with you because obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of different things happening with the future of college athletics. Not talking about the pandemic here. I mean, that's kind of. Sure. I mean, I think. I, don't, I mean, I think we're both kind of right now thinking. I'd say things look bleak for a regular season, but uh, yeah. you know, I, th- I think they're going to do all they can to get some form of a season in. Is that how you kind of see the pandemic in college basketball this year or what are you? I'm saying, I'm thinking January one. I'm, that's, I'm, thinking, that's what I'm thinking. I honestly, I honestly think this, I honestly, I'm hoping and I'm guessing, and I'm no epidemiologist. I think things are going to start to die down in the next six to eight weeks. Right. Um, does, doesn't mean we're going to get a virus, although that's looking promising. I think we can get to a point where on college campuses, we can get back to uh uh, at least uh, the fright of young people really being succumbing to this could be could be you know under control by January one, and I'm hoping that we can play college basketball after the new year. 
Uh, I don't have any insight into it. I just think that it seems like we can head in that direction. That's kind of where I'm at. That's that's where I'm at too. So when you look at 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 college, you know, with college basketball, you know, you have the name, image, likeness stuff. That is, you know, it's it's not a matter of if it's win now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you saw, uh, you've seen different guys, a handful of them, except this new G league route, um, where they're, you know, they're, they're accepting half, you know, $500,000 going to play in this different iteration of the G league. Yeah. How do you see, I mean, it, this is kind of my thing, Fran. And I, I think, uh, and then, you know, and then obviously you have the transfer thing where the, you know, the, the transfers and people talking about ch- trying to implement a one free, one time free transfer, all that. I think. When you kind of look at everything, college basketball has a continuity problem. That 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 would be how I would uh, would characterize it. You know, with with yeah. whether it's guys leaving early to the to the NBA, guys not sticking around uh, w- with transfers, and I think there's a there's a domino effect in that. I think the quality of the play diminishes a little bit. I think it has some sort of indirect maybe impact on fans' enjoyment of the game because. You know, I mean, if you're a, I always wonder if you're a Kentucky basketball fan right now, like what's that like? You know, you kind of just, you're on just a bunch of speed dates. You get to know a team and then the next year it's just a brand new team and a part of the the beauty of sports. And one of the things I took away from the last dance, the, the Michael Jordan doc was how much fun it used to be to watch a group grow and, and go hit different checkpoints together. How, yeah. I know it's kind of broad, but I, I how do you kind of see all those things in, in trying to kind of fix maybe college basketball, what ails it? I don't think it's it's all bad. I mean, obviously, I love it. It's yeah. my favorite sport in the world. But I, I my my gripe would be college basketball has got a continu- continuity problem. There's a lot you said in that uh, that I'll address, you know, one by one. Number one, um, the G, there's a lot of ways to get to the NBA. Uh, the just G League initiative is the newest way. Um, some kids went overseas this year. Bottom line is the best way to get to the NBA is through college. Mm-hmm. And the best way to market yourself if you're an elite player is through college. I get the 500 grand. I told people uh, two Decembers ago, Zion Williamson will be worth $150 million before he even plays a game. That turned out to be correct when you add up yep. his salary, endorsements, and especially the Nike deal. So I think, I think that's the first thing. College is the best way to get to the NBA. Number two. The elite kids should absolutely benefit somewhat from the NIL, uh, the name, image, and likeness. Mm-hmm. Zion would have. Every Alabama scholarship football player probably will in some way, shape, or form. I think that makes sense. I don't know if the eighth man on Creighton or Villanova will benefit the way Zion did. Um, so I think it'll work itself out. I also think you'll see marketing handled outside of an athletic department. I think. It'll be sports marketing people who will deem whether this player has value versus this player, and I think the vast majority will not have much marketing value. Right. Um, that that's that's another thing. The transfer thing I think is is ridiculous because what will start happening is fit, there will be a backlash from fans towards kids who leave their school, and it'll be like you know good riddance. Because you were playing, you know, 20 minutes a game and you still transferred. I do think there'll be a backlash. And finally, Nick, I've told all my college coaching friends, the number one job description of a college coach used to be crisis management coordinator because <laughs> you're always dealing with all these problems. New, that, that goes to number two. The number one job description now, 
roster management supervisor. Yeah. Because you are going to be formulating a roster year by year with very little continuity. And here's what I would say. Good for Villanova, Virginia, Michigan State. Most recently, Creighton is in that mix Mm -hmm. where you're not taking one-and-done guys and you're able to build a solid foundation. You'll have a Tyshawn Alexander leave early or a a, a Sadiq Bey, but guys who figure out how to build a program with continuity will do it. Has a lot of stuff in that. No, I like it. I'm I'm just sitting here nodding at everything. Do you think cuz I I've I've thought about this too and maybe I'm just I'm I'm idealistic here. Don't you think the NBA and college basketball's interests are more aligned than you would think? Like I there's this idea that they're yeah. kind of at odds, but I would think that the NBA once a more proven, mature player whose profile is raised, like you brought up Zion, where these guys come into the league and they're already known, they're already stars, and so it's good for the NBA, and then it's also good for college basketball to get guys to stick around for more than just one season because obviously their level of play grows. It's good for the the, the college sport. I, I'm not necessarily – there's something that feels fundamentally un-American about – saying a guy can't go to the NBA whenever he wants to. But at the same time, I just think college basketball and the NBA need to create a situation where things are more attractive for, uh, you know, a, a Marcus Howard, a, a, a Trey Young, a whoever, to stick around for another yeah. year. Or talking about a guy down, you know, in, in our backyard, Tyson Alexander, instead of leaving early to probably not be drafted, stick around for another year. Uh, yeah. Just, I think, I just think the, the, the interests of the two entities are more aligned than maybe publicly you would think. Totally agree. Uh, the N, the N, the NBA has Adam silver, the NCAA, unfortunately. And I don't mean this to be, I'm not a basher. I'm yeah, not a guy that bashes, right. you know, Mark Emmert or the NCAA that that stuff's old. And they, I agree. We're all past that. Um, it's old. It's old. I mean, you can bash them every day of the week, and they do so many good things. By the way, let me say this, and you were a college athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, at no time in the history of college sports, and your listeners of this podcast are going to you know, roll their eyes, there has never been a time in the history of college athletics where elite athletes playing the major sports are treated better. Mm-hmm. It is a joke. It is a concierge lifestyle right now yes now can they can the elite guys get a little bit more sure i guess yes. but these kids i guarantee you creighton university villanova michigan state they're spending upwards of one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year per kid everything included room board tuition books spending money academics uh, support um totally equipment agree. travel medical etc totally agree um there's there's no student loans like the like the rest of the creighton university yep. student body I'd say 70% of the kids who go to Creighton probably have to pay off student loans. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a joke. Now, we can do better mm-hmm. with the elite guys, no doubt about it. But we have, I mean, this is my point. We have no leadership. There's nobody in leadership at the NCAA who understands college basketball and who could be the czar of college basketball and do what's right for the game that's in alignment with the NBA and the student-athletes that we could, you know, right now we're a, we're a headless horseman. I agree. We might be on secretariat, <laughs> but we're on, a, we're on a headless horseman. We're on a headless we're, horseman. You know, uh, we're, I, don't know what, I don't know. That's a, probably a mixed metaphor. No, I don't know. I like it. You I get like the it. point. We have it. no leadership 
that is controlling college basketball to help us make these smart, wise decisions. Yeah, I just I'm totally with you. I just feel like the way to and I and I use these words like. Uh, you know, college. Ba- I, I I said college basketball is a continuity problem. I don't want like. Yeah. Uh, let me make it clear that I don't think I'm with you. I don't like this idea that it, it's bashing college basketball is low hanging fruit, and it's like okay, we get it. Listen, I, I yeah. is it is could it be better? Sure. Is it still great? Absolutely. And I'm with you where yeah. I don't like this idea. Could athletes get more? Sure. Am I opposed to them getting more? Absolutely not. But I also push back at this idea that being on scholarship at the University of Kansas is somehow not unbelievable for you. It's great for you. You know, I so there, there's yeah. just there's a lot in there. But I just I guess I I view these quote air quotes here problems that that college basketball is facing as really fixable things if we just uh, if if maybe we had maybe we put a head on that headless with, horseman and we started with riding, leadership you know? yeah no question uh, yeah no question there's no doubt in my mind that if mark emmert would put someone in charge of college basketball with autonomy to make decisions yes um and maybe in concert with uh you know the various legislative bodies because yeah, the ncaa is a, a, a basically an accumulation of 1,000 schools at every level. But I just think that in a sport that generates so much money for the NCAA, think about it, the NCAA tournament brings in like 95% of the organization's revenue that gets filtered down to the schools. It just makes sense, and I do think they're all fixable problems. I do still think it's a great game. And uh, now the only thing is, Coming out of the pandemic with uh, TV contracts and not knowing when we're going back to play and whether the Final Four is going to be played in March, next March in Indianapolis, I do think we're in uncharted waters. Nobody really has answers yet. So I think we have to be really careful over the next six months to a year that we keep college athletics and, in particular, the sport you and I love on track. Totally agree. Fran Fraschilla, ESPN College Basketball Analyst and one-time two-week assistant coach at Nebraska, people. <laughs> Fran, this was uh, yeah. th- this was awesome. I tell people all the time when people ask me, who are some of your who, who who's some of your favorite analysts? You're you're the first name I throw out there. You, I, I absolutely love listening to you call games. There's nothing better when I sit down to watch a game and I see that you're calling it, my man. So uh, I thank no, the world of your partner. It. Thanks. I'm proud of you, man. I've known you for a long time, yeah. and you've come a long way. And you truly are great at what you do, so I uh, appreciate the compliment, and I'll send it right back to you. You got it, friend. Let's do this again. Take care, bud. Okay. See you, Nick. All right. My thanks to Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about a new window or a new front door, now is the perfect time. Give Pella a call at 402-493-1350 or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. We will see you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Thank you.